0: This week on Geek Explained, with the latest edition of The Flash kicking off its five part Armageddon crossover this week, it's time for the annual Arrowverse Power Rankings for 2021. Welcome back to Geek Explained. I'm your host, Eric Azana, and today's episode is all about the Arrowverse. With The Flash kicking off its five part Armageddon crossover to begin season eight. Eight seasons already. Wow. Uh, I figured it would be the perfect time to dive into our new annual tradition of the Arrowverse Power Rankings. We did a full Power Ranking for all the available Arrowverse shows last year, and this year I figure now is the time. I was waiting for a couple shows to wrap up, but now here we are. I'm going to be ranking them from strongest to weakest, and the answers may surprise you. Though they probably won't if you know who I am and what I enjoy. So uh, tune in for that. Very excited to dive into these shows and kind of tell you how I'm feeling about them, where they're at. And maybe we can discuss a little bit about what's going on both positively and negatively with these shows. We also have our latest weekly review on the finale of Season 3 for Doom Patrol. I feel like we just started and now it's already over. And of course, we have this week's Comics Countdown, where I'll be telling you about all the comics you should be picking up this week. But before we get into all of that, let's check in with this week's news. All right, guys and dolls, let's talk some news. We have our four categories, film, TV, comics, and miscellaneous. We're going to kick things off with comic book news, kicking things off over on the Marvel side of things. Marvel announced the debut of the Queen Goblin. Uh, She's going to be making her debut in Amazing Spider-Man number 88 over in February of next year. All of these comic book news, these three pieces of news are going to happen in February, which I think is really funny. That they're getting them over with now. But I guess Queen Goblin is going to be like the, the big final boss, perhaps, of the Beyond era. Uh, kind of modeling herself after, of course, Green Goblin, Hobgoblin, and so on and so forth. Uh, her identity is a mystery. Which is always the fun part about the Goblin stories. So I'm looking forward to that. Um, And I've honestly been really enjoying Amazing Spider-Man so far. So I'm looking forward to seeing how this wraps up. Over on the DC side of things, two new books were announced. First off, Suicide Squad Blaze was announced starting in February of 2022. And it's going to be helmed by the same team that brought us John Constantine Hellblazer, Cy Spurrier, and Aaron Campbell. And the idea behind this is really interesting, right? So there's apparently, of course, some like world-threatening event. And they are bringing in some some pretty despicable characters here. Uh, Of course, we have your mainstays, your King Shark, Harley Quinn Peacemaker, and Captain Boomerang. But apparently, they're not the main characters the main characters are these uh lowlifes who basically went through a procedure uh something called project blaze where it's basically like okay we're going to give you powers and and anywhere between now and in six months they're going to kill you so would you die to get superpowers and so they are going to going to be mentored by the squatties, and then we'll see how that goes so sounds interesting I love that team and I'm looking forward to seeing how this goes but the big comic book news for me of course was the announcement that Mary Marvel is stepping back into the spotlight as the main character of a new book the new champion of Shazam after the fallout of Billy Batson losing the Shazam powers Mary Marvel is going to become the new Champion of Shazam in a book written by Josie Campbell, who is the main writer on the new, on the latest uh, She series, as well as art by my boy and yours, Doc Shaner. Anytime that Shaner gets anywhere near the Shazam family, I am always excited. And apparently, he's been really hands on working with jo- Josie Campbell to create this world, create the look. So I'm very excited about this. This book is also going to kick off in February, but. I cannot wait. I cannot wait for this book to come up. It's about time. Mary Marvel has been an underserved character for a very long time, and I am excited for her to take center stage when it comes to the Shazam family. Popping over to miscellaneous news, three pieces of video game news to talk about real quick. The first one's really ridiculous, okay? You all know how much of a Dragon Ball fan that I am. Uh, It was my first anime, the anime that got me to fall in love with anime. And it was a big part of my childhood. Well, Dragon Ball just announced a new video game called Dragon Ball The Breakers this week. And it's not your typical Dragon Ball game. It's not a fighting game. It's not a beat-em-up, an arena fighter, or even an RPG like the Dragon Ball Kakarot game that came out recently. It is basically Dragon Ball Friday the 13th, or Dragon Ball Dead by Daylight, where you are survivors here Human survivors, with the exception of maybe one pig, trying to escape the city with Cell hot on your tails. This is ridiculous. It is the dumbest thing, and I love it. I'm very excited about this. I cannot wait for it to be as buggy as the original Friday the 13th game was. Um, I'm going to have a lot of fun with this, so I'm excited for this game to come out. We also got the very first look at Marvel's Avengers Spider-Man, who is dropping at the end of this month. And... I mean, the main suit looks fine. They definitely took a lot of designs from uh, the Amazing Spider-Man suit, which I really love, but it's something's off. Which is okay because they released some alternate costumes and a couple of them are my favorites. The classic, of course, looks fantastic. And then the Bugle Boy, which is basically just like 60s geek Peter Parker with a sweater vest just with a Spider-Man mask on. I dig those a lot. I'm still interested to see how he plays. They are refusing to show us gameplay. It's just all cinematics and intro stuff. So we'll see we'll see what happens here it's gonna be uh this is gonna be a make or break for that game so we'll we'll find out but uh that is still coming at the end of november and they also announced the voice actor is sean chiplock uh very good voice actor the voice kind of sounds like a mix between um the the voice that was used for the most recent uh spider-man cartoon Marvel's spider-man i can't remember his name uh robbie damon Robbie Damon and Yuri Lowenthal. It's kind of like a weird mishmash between the two. I wish that it sounded older, but it's fine. It is what it is. I'm still looking forward to seeing how this character plays. And then finally, in video game news, Halo! Halo celebrated its 20th anniversary uh, 20 years ago this past Monday. Halo Combat Evolved dropped on the Xbox, and to celebrate the occasion halo had two big announcements first off We all know that Halo Infinite is dropping at the beginning of next month, but Halo Infinite's free multiplayer surprise dropped on Monday. It is now available to play. Just go on the Xbox store, go get it, go play it. I have it currently downloading right now. I've never been like a shooter kind of guy, but Halo has always been something that I've been interested in and kind of was my gateway into first person shooters. So... I will be checking this out at the very least just to see how the multiplayer plays. Um, I'm still on the fence about Halo Infinite, but I have a very good friend of mine, a good brother who is Halo obsessed and got, it was the one that got me into Halo, so I might just have to pick it up to play with him. But also, if we're hopping on over to TV news, which has a bunch of stuff to talk about, the first piece of TV news, Halo also dropped its first teaser trailer for the Halo TV series. It's going to be premiering on Paramount+. Um um, it's really just a just a look at a guy getting suited up it's just master chief getting suited up in his armor looks good we have no other basis beyond that so we'll we'll have to see and wait for more um, until we can actually see some footage and actually see what this show is going to look like over the Netflix side of things. Speaking of streaming, we got more casting announcements for the Avatar live action Netflix series, which I'm slowly warming to. I don't know how I feel about it, but I'm slowly warming up to it. Three casting announcements were made this week for some pretty pivotal roles. First off, Ken Leung as Commander Zhao, the essentially the main antagonist of Book One. Um, Ken Leung has been underserved for a very long time. He most recently was Karnak and in Inhumans. Remember that? I'm excited for him to actually be treated seriously and very excited for him to be this character. Uh, Lim Kai Su as Gyatso, Monk Gyatso, uh, on. I did not just say that. Aang's first friend and the kind of mentor figure he had before he went into his 100-year slumber. And, of course, the biggest news from this was Paul Sun-Hyung Lee as Uncle Iroh of... Kim's convenience and Star Wars the Mandalorian fame. Uh I you love to see it. You love to see good things happen to good people and I don't think they could have picked a better actor to play Uncle Iro in this. Very excited to see more of this. I'm getting more excited about it because of all the casting, all the actual like race appropriate casting as well. So I'm excited i'm excited about this a lot uh speaking of which on tv breaking ground sesame street is introducing its first asian character a character named ji young Uh, she'll be making her first debut alongside uh, actor simu liu uh dc comics creator jim lee and more for a very special episode on thanksgiving day very excited about this um there's literally no bad takes on this like you can't there's no way to make this a bad thing like kids get to see themselves on screen like this is awesome i think this is super cool if i when i was a small little asian boy uh, got to look at a tv watch sesame street and see a kid who looked like me i would be over the moon so this is awesome very very excited about this what i'm not excited about is hbo max right now they are in the hot seat when it comes to me because they announced that they are recasting the Dead Boy Detectives for the Doom Patrol spinoff. Why? Why are you doing this? I I understand that when the Doom Patrol made their first appearance in Titans, you know, Chief was played by a different actor, they changed up a bunch of stuff, and now they're on a separate world from uh from the Titans show. I get it. But what made the characters work in my favorite episode of this past Doom Patrol season was those actors, was all three of them. And the fact that they are going to be now recast and they're looking for very, like, marketable types, and I'm using quotations here. Is a little a little upsetting and old, insulting to the actors who are already cast in these roles. And what is going to happen to Dorothy? Like, does she just not appear? Is she the only one who's going to appear? Who knows? But either way, I'm not super happy about this. I hope that they continue the same tone, at least the same creative. Um, but yeah, not super not super stoked about this. What I was fairly stoked about was disney plus day disney plus day was this past week and they announced a whole slew of things uh mostly tv stuff which is why it's in the tv category so, let's go ahead and dive into this. First off, uh, they announced that What If Season 2 will be coming soon. We all knew that a What If Season 2 was coming, but I'm still excited to see it for sure. Uh, we also got the announcement that Ms. Marvel is going to release in summer of 2022, which kind of contradicts earlier reports that it had been pushed back to quarter four. It still could, I guess. But... It's supposed to release in summer 2022. I don't know how it's going to go because everyone is still very not cool with the change up to her powers. So we will just have to see, I suppose. Uh we also got new logos for certain uh new logos and first looks for certain shows. New logos for Moon Knight, She-Hulk, Ironheart and Secret Invasion were debuted here, all of them coming soon but we got a first look at Nick Fury for Secret Invasion looking haggard I think is the word that could be used to describe him here Uh, but we did get some teaser footage from Moon Knight and She-Hulk both of which look fantastic very very excited about both Moon Knight and She-Hulk and especially She-Hulk. To be honest, I didn't know which one I was going to be more excited about until I saw the teaser footage, and I'm I'm really pulling for She-Hulk here, so we'll have to see. But we also got the announcement of some new series coming to Disney+. First off, uh, the rumored Agatha House of Harkness series was announced. We also got the announcement for Echo which is going to be spinning out of Hawkeye uh, later this month. Next week, in fact, I think. Uh, We also got the announcement that there's going to be an I Am Groot animated series, uh, which is going to be pretty... It sounds like it's going to be pretty focused around Baby Groot, executive produced by James Gunn, so at least they have a guiding hand there. Uh, They announced that Marvel Zombies is getting an animated series. No news or no idea whether it's going to be spinning out of What If or if it's going to be more close closer to the comic which we did cover for geektober go and check that out if you haven't already i did that episode with owen likes comics um we also got the announcement that baymax is getting a show for summer 2022 which is going to be just Baymax doing stuff helping people which I love I love Big Hero 6 I love Baymax so give me more of that but the big two announcements for this I think were first off Spider-Man freshman year which is going to be another animated series uh, depicting the essentially year one of uh, Tom Holland's Spider-Man in the MCU which fine I guess Um, it's it's cool that they're filling this in. I don't think they needed to, but it means we're going to get more of the homemade suit, which is my favorite suit that Tom Holland has ever worn. It's a toss up between that and the uh, advanced suit that he made at the end of Far From Home. But uh, I love that homemade suit. I like the idea of a year one story for him. Hopefully they just don't rehash a lot of the stuff that they did in the most recent Spider-Man animated series. But who knows? We'll see. Uh, but the, of course, the one that set the internet on fire, X Men '97 is coming to Disney Plus. A sequel series to the animated X Men series of 1992. Um, what can I say? I'm a shell for uh, for. Corporate Nostalgia. I'm excited about this. They are bringing back a lot of the principal cast as well as bringing in new cast members as well. Principal Creative Team, it is going to be a direct sequel taking place years later. So this is very exciting. I am very much looking forward to this for sure. But Of course, the news you probably want me to talk about is the film news, which of course is only one piece of news, and it's the biggest news of the week. Of course, I'm talking about the Spider-Man trailer. So we got the second trailer, and I'm hoping the final trailer for Spider-Man No Way Home, the conclusion of the Holland Trilogy, and, uh... I am very interested by this trailer. There's a lot going on here. And I'm almost the most excited at what they didn't show. Um, just kind of like re-watching it right now as I'm going through this. Um, it's clearly following the events of Far From Home. Peter has his uh, identity exposed. Goes to Doctor Strange to try to fix it. Yada, yada, yada. Something happens multiverse gets broken and now we have visitors from every universe as dr strange says and this trailer gave me exactly what i wanted from this trailer which is more villains they gave us the tease with the green goblin in the first trailer and outright showed alfred molina's doc ock uh, at the end of the trailer i wanted more of our multiversal sinister six and that's exactly what we got from this. We saw Ock. We saw Green Goblin. We saw Electro. We saw Sandman. We saw the Lizard. We did see the Lizard, finally. There is no more speculation the Lizard is 100% uh, part of the six. But that leaves us with who that final member is. There's a lot that I think is possible for the uh, for that spot. But what I love is that they didn't show it. They didn't show who the final member is. They didn't show, you know, obviously the worst kept secret in the entire year, which is that Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield are going to be part of this movie, at least for a little bit. But the way that they frame this movie is really cool because it does seem like it's it's Pete, it's MJ, it's Ned that are going to try and solve this. So they're going around the country, maybe around the world to try and uh, figure out these multiversal breaches. And the conflict that kind of arises between uh, Peter and Steven, uh, Spider-Man and Strange, I thought was really interesting in that Peter wants to save these people because it's revealed to him that their fate, all of these villains' fates are to die while battling Spider-Man. And of course, the most Peter Parker thing you could do is try and, you know, stop that from happening. So, it does look like we're going to be getting a pretty interesting uh, final fight at the Statue of Liberty. Um, all the scaffolding. And there was one interesting shot where it looked like Electra was blasting Doc Ock. So I think that because they do show him being captured and he's probably the first one that they run up against. That Doc Ock might actually be try and help them. So I don't know. This is very interesting. They mentioned that, you know... People are coming through. The multiverse is going to be broken. Once again, I don't know how this is going to square up with Loki's multiverse shenanigans. But I'm assuming that it's not a coincidence that it happens around the same time. So, all in all... Pretty good trailer, and I'm glad that they didn't show uh, McGuire and Garfield, because that's something that you should be getting in the theater. I hope that there isn't another trailer after this. They said that the tickets will be going on sale on the 29th of November. They're calling it Spider Monday, which is the dumbest thing, but... Exactly one month from today, as of this recording, we are going to be seeing the culmination of Spider-Man in the MCU. Um, overall, it's a pretty good trailer. It's a pretty good trailer. I like it a little bit more than the first trailer, but I'm more excited by what they didn't show than what they did, which I think is great, and that's exactly how trailers should be. So that is going to do it for this week's news. Uh, Lots of stuff to talk about, obviously, and of course that trailer near the end there. But speaking of comic books and comic book adaptations and live action, that is going to roll us right on into the main event, the main course, the entree, if you will, which is the 2021 Power Rankings for the CW Arrowverse. Welcome to the second annual Arrowverse Power Rankings. I know last year I said I might not call it the Arrowverse going forward, but screw it. It is the DCTV Arrowverse Power Rankings as presented to you by me on Geeks Find. Hello. Um, last year we did a quick power ranking for all six of the shows that were featured in the Arrowverse, uh, following the conclusion of Crisis on Infinite Earths, and now, since we are heading into another big ol' five-part crossover that is gonna be on The Flash kicking off this week, I decided it's time for- to do it all over again. We have been waiting a little bit, I decided to wait until Supergirl wrapped up to get All of my thoughts out because I wanted to make sure everybody was on an equal playing field. Um, Another quick disclaimer, I believe right now, uh, Legends and Batwoman have already started their next season. So this is basing on just the previous season of each show. So there are seven shows this year to talk about, and there's I'm going to tell you why. But to recap last year's, I had the rankings as thus. At number six, we had Batwoman season one. And number five, we have Legends of Tomorrow. Number four was Supergirl. Number three was Flash. Number two was Arrow. Number one was Black Lightning. So, as we dive into this, as we get ready for another CWTV fall of shows, let's dive into this. Right? So... Starting things off, I'll be talking about, so there's seven shows, and each one uh, I'll be talking about whether they slipped down the rankings, whether they stayed solid, or whatever. Because I want to present this as true power rankings, and I'm trying to be all official official about this. So, first off, at number seven, Falling, let's see here. One, two, three, four spots is unfortunately The Flash. At number seven, we have at the bottom of the list, it slipped four places from number three to number seven. And I hate to put it this low. I really do. However, taking into account the previous season, season seven. It kind of feels like the show is beginning to run out of steam, no pun intended. But I do think that Season 7, even though I love the suit, I love the um, status quo of everything, this was the first, you know, big... Uh, big comeback following COVID. They had, you know, a lot of dangling plot threads and some new ones to establish with Mirror Master, Godspeed, Black Hole, all of that stuff. It felt like they did really know where they wanted to go with it, which is unfortunate. Because I think the idea of making it um, kind of doing like a chapter structure, like doing graphic novels and having them titled in groups of episodes for arcs, I think is cool. And I like the idea of that. And I think more comic book shows should do that. However... The show suffered from a lot of departures as well. Cisco Ramon is gone officially after this season. He's handed off the reins. He is moving on. Carlos Valdez, thank you for your service. Incredible character. Um Cisco and Camilla both left to go pursue uh black hole agents all over the world. Uh, we also saw the departure of Wells. Um Which was, I mean, the episode, the All's Wells That Ends Wells, is a fantastic episode. And is a celebration of Nash Wells, of Harry, of Harrison Wells, of, um, oh, who is it? Um, H, oh my god, um, H.R. Wells, like, I... I think it was as good a send-off for that character and those characters, plural, as you could get. However, you are going to feel the absence of them. And the more people that start to go away, the more it's starting to feel a little like, what are we doing here, guys? Um... We also had you know a two-part finale which was uh, really cool to celebrate I believe 150 episodes that brought back all the speedsters except for Wally. I don't know what is the deal between Keenan Lonsdale and the CW but they need to figure that shit out out because Wally West was noticeable in his absence when they're like all right let me try and commune and reach with Wally and then they just never go back to it it was sad I didn't like it I really wanted to have because they had everybody they had literally everybody Jay Garrick Nora we even brought in Bart Allen which was cool Jordan Fisher did a great job there but After the conclusion of the Mirror Master saga, it felt like it kind of meandered for a bit. And then it was all of a sudden like, all right, Godspeed's back. Let's do this. And then as it went along, it's like, okay, Godspeed's not Godspeed. And then, oh, wait, no, there is Godspeed. Oh, what's going on with August Heart? It felt like they decided to dive into the August Heart and Black Hole stuff. And they just didn't want to take the time. Or maybe they didn't have the time because the first arc of the show was to wrap up all of the dangling plot threads from the first episode or from the season prior. And I totally understand that, you know, if COVID had not impacted the world, I think the structure of these seasons would be very different. And I might be, you know, telling a different story here. But as the story stands, the Flash does feel like it's nearing its end, which I hate. Because the Flash really was what kick-started the Arrowverse, you know, Arrow started everything, but having the Flash be there to be the extension and really breathe new comic booky life into the grim, gritty Arrow, you know, world was what kicked off and gave us what we have today with this Arrowverse. So I don't like to see it slip down this far, but I did find myself enjoying it the least out of all of them. I also feel like the last couple episodes that just rushed on through just sped on past the godspeed and black hole stuff i would have liked an entire season devoted to godspeed in the same way that we got an entire season devoted to zoom or savitar you know i know that we're trying to get away from that formula of oh it's a speedster villain we don't know his identity but unlike zoom and savitar in the comics Godspeed was a legitimate um was a legitimate mystery set up. I mean, it was very obvious who it was, but it was set up to be one of those mysteries. And whether that's, you know, because of the show or not, I am not to say because I don't know, but I do think that this was the time to really put forward the um the I guess the idea of all right let's make this a two- who done it let's make this a mystery let's make this a you know they could have started it off with the murder of august Hart and then go from there and make it a genuine mystery even if it did end up being august Hart by the end you know i think they could have done a lot and the fact that they didn't just feels like a missed opportunity so that is why it's at number seven i don't like putting it down this far but That's what happens now at number six, holding strong from the number six position from last year is Batwoman. Now, Batwoman had a very tough job with their season two, right? Um, They essentially had to soft reboot the show because Ruby Rose was no longer uh, going to be Kate Kane. They had to scramble to find a new Batwoman and they found it in Javisha Leslie, also known as Ryan Wilder in the show. And I will say, right off the bat, Javicia Leslie, hell of a Batwoman. I think she brings in a great flavor to the character. I think she brings a different perspective than Kate, which gives us a lot more to play with. And I think her interplay with, um, with uh, Luke Fox is really good and has a little bit more chemistry than Kate did with him. Uh, I also think that... Having Javisha Leslie and having Ryan Wilder as a character dropped into this already established, you know, relationship status quo with everybody was the shot in the arm that the show needed it gave it the opportunity to go stranger it gave it the opportunity to get a little bit more fun with it Alice got to do way more because she wasn't saddled with oh I need to be there for my sister and I think there's just a lot that you can do with these characters now I do still think it suffered from the same thing that the um that the first season did and that it started really strong and kind of dipped for the rest of the season, though the way that it wrapped everything up, I thought was great. And I think bringing in, you know, making the jump for Luke Fox to bring him in as Batwing is inspired. He looks great. Um, I believe his name is cameras. Johnson is the actor. He does a phenomenal job and I'm excited to see this, you know, this bat team up uh maybe you know build into a wider bat family who knows i think it's very cool i'm looking forward to getting more from them um but again there were you know some of the telltale stuff from the first season the writing hasn't been especially better though i think javisha leslie handles it better um that being said we do need to talk about the controversy. We do need to talk about Batwoman. We do need to talk about Ruby Rose. Now the show did, I think the thing that the best thing that it could recasting, uh, Kate and going through with the plastic surgery and her being a villain. So it ends up being Batwoman versus Batwoman, um, to kind of establish Ryan Wilder as the Batwoman. But Ruby Rose recently has, and I've mentioned this before, On the podcast, Ruby Rose has come out with a lot of accusations and statements against the show and against the showrunners, the production, all of it, um, with mistreatment of the cast, mistreatment of the crew, mistreatment of her. Um, And it's very, uh, it's very volatile right now. So I'm not going to speak too much on it just because there's really no way to genuinely get into all of it without you know making a lot of uh speculation and conjecture i wasn't there i don't know this i've been on the warner brothers lot it's a great you know it's a great lot to film things on but besides that i have no affiliation with warner brothers with cw with anything so i can't speak on it with any kind of um educated opinion I'm only speaking on from what I know and from what I've seen of the statements made by Ruby Rose, and it seems like a real bad situation there. Uh, Abuse, mistreatment, uh, medical malpractice, and just overall irresponsibility. So I hope this is addressed because this isn't the first time that, you know, accusations have been thrown at the CW, at Warner Brothers, at DC about mistreatment. Um, And we're going to talk about it a little bit as well, but... I do think that this kind of stuff does need to be addressed because it is part of the show. You know, for better or for worse, this is part of the legacy of the show, and it's part of the status quo of the show. But as a creative project, as a TV show, I do think that Batwoman is better with the, uh, with the changes that it made for season two. And I, um, I believe season three is currently going right now. Uh, so we'll see. We'll see what happens there. At number 5, holding steady as well at the number 5 spot, we have Legends of Tomorrow. Now this season decided to, just like last season, go balls to the wall, set itself apart from everything, and go Legends in Space. We got to know, we got to find out that uh, Gary and Kayla were both aliens, that aliens are a thing past just the invasion uh, crossover, which I am always a fan of. I'm always a fan of Cosmic-y, cosmic stuff, and the Legends, I believe, also have a season going on right now as well, though Legends and Batwoman are currently on, but... The uh the decision to go as bonkers and balls to the wall as the show has ever gone, um, was, I think, a great choice. Um, to continue on with it being the weirdest show, uh, still doing time travel, but mostly doing uh space stuff, dealing with alien invasion, I thought was a fun choice and set it apart from the previous season and the seasons before it. But it does raise the question on how weird the show is going to get. I think they did a good job making a more um, serialized story across the season, uh, rather than the season before it, which felt very all over the place. Um, But overall, I didn't enjoy this as much as previous seasons, just because it you know, there there we got some goodbyes. You know, it was tough when we saw the uh the departure of Brandon Routh and his wife from the team last or the season before. This one hit almost just as hard. Uh, because Mick Rory, Heatwave, left the team. He decided to stay with Kayla, and they have like alien babies? I don't know. Again, Legends of Tomorrow is really weird now, um, which is fine. It's fine. Legends is okay, fine. It's, It's okay to be weird, but... We saw the departure of Mick, and then we also saw the departure of Constantine, which makes me so sad. They did a great job sending him off, um, having him and Zari kind of wrap up their uh, their romance, and then he kind of just goes walking off into the sunset uh, to continue being damned and all this stuff. But I like Constantine. I like him on the team. I like him you know, being that weird sexual energy with everybody. And I know that Matt Ryan is portraying a new character going into uh, this current season that they're in right now. But yeah, I think that when you look at the roster and you see that the only remaining original legend is Sarah Lance, um, you got to start to wonder what the end game is for this show. Because when you're almost your entire um, original cast is gone and it's all been replaced by new characters, you need to start thinking about what happens to, if that remaining, you know, original character decides that they want to go the way of their original teammates. I don't think that Katie Lotz is looking to get out, but who knows? And this show, I think, is going to, um, I don't know, I don't know if this show is going to be around for a couple more years. It's in a current season right now. It might get another season, but we will just have to see. That being said, I do enjoy Legends of Tomorrow. I still think it's fun. The Waverider is still fantastic. Um, I got to take a little peek. I didn't see all of it, but I got to take a little peek at, um, at the 100th episode that did bring a bunch of people back, and I was excited about that. Um... So we'll see how much, how many legs this show still has to go on. But that is going to wrap up number five. Going into number four, we have, again, staying strong, no movement here, Supergirl. Supergirl, this was the end of an era because this show was the third out of. Third? Third? Third. This was the third show out of the Arrowverse. It's either this or Legends. And I want to say Supergirl came out first, but it's so interesting when you look at seven seasons of Supergirl and just how much the show changed across the entirety of the uh, of the run. You know, the first season looks absolutely nothing like the seventh season. And through uh, ca- different casting updates, casting changes, uh, story changes, production changes, the show was on a completely different network for the first season than the rest of the run of the show. Um, Supergirl has stayed strong. I think the, sh- the show has been consistent, even though it's not... Everybody's Cup of Tea, the show has never dipped away from where it was, right? The show has always kind of stuck to its guns, and I really respect that out of it. It's always been a show about empathy first. It's always been a show about identity And coming to terms with yourself and self, uh, self love and acceptance, and that's exactly what this last season was as well. Um, The show swung for the fences in its final season, going for everything from Supergirl learning, you know, trying to balance her uh, her civilian life to a romance between Lex and Nixley. Just it. Gave itself room and it gave itself time to get a little weird, but keep its heart throughout. That's kind of the thing that, for me, puts it above Legends of Tomorrow, is it's just kind of weird the entire way through. There's not as much heart in it as I would like. Supergirl got a little weird, but stayed stayed sincere. And I really appreciate that. The show itself has always been walking this fine line between uplifting and really corny, which is how Superman and Superman-adjacent shows should be. And Supergirl, from start to finish, whether you loved it or you hated it, It knew what it was, and I really respect and appreciate that about the show. Um, There were some things that I still kind of scratch my head about. Um, I still... Just because of my comics and my Young Justice background, I think the pairing of Jean and McGann is weird. Um, but I mean, it's it's a different continuity, different characters, so it's fine. Um, I also think that the fact that they decided to blue ball all of the super core shippers, uh, it was a really strange choice, especially since it felt like they had been building to uh, to Lena and Kara maybe getting together at the end give us a legend of Korra you cowards um I think that the decision to do that was really strange I did enjoy um some of the choices that were made having a brand new guardian who is much closer in spirit and in design than the Then the Jimmy Olsen version of the character was an inspired choice and just bringing in a super family and calling them the super friends, um, was awesome as well. And then it had what I think is probably a perfect finale for the show. You know, I talked about last year how the Arrow finale felt a little weird because Oliver just wasn't in it at all and it... I think, you know, at least modern Oliver because he was dead. There were flashbacks, but it felt like the show itself was um, wasn't my cup of tea. We'll just say this, I think, was absolutely perfect. I think for the show itself, for what it was going for, for the characters that it had grown along the way, bringing everybody back was fantastic. We got to see my boy mon uh come back for just a little bit, though I hated how they just decided, oh, now he's just going to go back to the future and that's going to be it. And Brainy was like, yeah, I'm going to go back, too. But then Brainy decided not to go back. Okay. Um, and then even Finn came back. But whatever uh I just or win sorry um I just I if you weren't gonna have Kara end up with mon why not have her end up with Lena like what's the harm here the show's over and they even took that approach because they're like all right Supergirl Kara's gonna out her secret identity at the end I did love that they b- brought back Cat Grant. She's a wonderful character. Allie McBeal reappearing to give Kara some words of wisdom. And then we got to see her uh, reveal her identity at the end of the episode. A perfect finale because that's, that's it. Yes, adventures will continue. But for this show, having that be the finale was pitch perfect. I cannot think of a better finale. Also... We end with a wedding, which is always a fun thing to have in a finale, Ask the Office. Um, It was just a great episode. And overall, even though Supergirl has never been my favorite, I've always really enjoyed the show for what it is, what it represents, and for the... Just amazing portrayal of Kara Zor-El of Supergirl that Melissa Benoist has given. She is a tenured member. She, Grant Gustin, um, uh, Stephen Amell for Oliver Queen, the three of them were kind of the big trilogy, and or the trinity, of the CW Arrowverse. And I think that now that there's only one of them left out of that whole grouping it is a bit lesser for it. And the Arrowverse is going to shine just a little bit dimmer, not having Supergirl around. So that is my number four. At number three, dropping two spots, dropping from number one last year to number three, we have Black Lightning. Black Lightning has consistently from every single season been the best CW show. As you can see here for its final uh Finale season, it's goodbye season alongside Supergirl going out on, you know, as on top as it can. It was a little shaky for me. I think, you know, seasons one through three, A tier. Easily A tier, possibly even S tier. Black Lightning season four is a mixed bag for me. I feel like they were... Not exactly sure how they wanted to wrap things up. I do like that they brought the conflict back to it being Jefferson versus Tobias. uh, Pierce versus Whale. The whole deal was still about the two of them, which it should have been. It made sense. Now that they, you know, ran everybody else out of town, the town is back to normal. It makes sense that that it comes down to the War of Two Men. And with the two of them... I thought every scene they got together was fantastic. Um, Everyone was on their A-game when it came to acting this season. There is nary a bad performance in sight. They were there, because this is a CW production after all, but... They were outweighed by some phenomenal performances, especially a principal cast. Um, I did like that they kind of set up the Pierce family for the future. The Pierce family rules. It just, it really does. Having all of them there, lightning, thunder, the like, having Gambi, you know, Gambi gets a goodbye, you know, everything just mwah, pitch perfect. Um, there was a weird, you know, painkiller backdoor pilot for a spinoff that just didn't take off um which is unfortunate because that character i think is interesting in the parameters of the show i talked about it when they announced that it, there was going to be a spinoff that i don't really think that that character can carry a show and apparently the studio thought the same because the spinoff did not end up coming to be but i think that makes the ending of the show even sweeter because the finale for this season was bombastic it was huge it felt final you had this great showdown between Jefferson and Tobias Black Lightning and the great white whale going off against each other it was great i thought the production value was as high as ever i loved that they stayed within their uh stayed within their zone while also you know alluding to the fact that they were part of a, a larger universe and i think that even though they decided to get a little weird with some of the choices, you know, dealing with uh, real-world stuff, because Black Lightning has always walked a really thin line in that when it was on its own Earth, it was, you know, treated like it was part of our Earth, our, you know, real-world stuff, so you would see a lot of real-world influences. The influences that they decided to go with this season um, were some... We're questionable at times, but I still think that the uh, principal cast is probably one of the strongest, if not the strongest, in the entire run, in the entire uh, catalog of Arrowverse shows, and I'm gonna miss this show. I think that it should have gone further. Um, I do you know, it's easy to say that the first three seasons are a complete story, which I get a great trilogy. Um, and I had some questions going into a season four, like, what are they going to do with it? And now that it's, that's it. That's the, uh, you know, that's the whole story in four, four volumes. I do wonder if doing it this way, you know, might have shortchanged the narrative progression of the previous seasons but I still think that it's a wonderful show if you haven't watched it yet do yourself a favor go out of your way to watch it and the finale was fantastic it wasn't as perfect as the Supergirl finale but for what it was I thought it was awesome I thought it was really really good and we will see Black Lightning return for Armageddon he's gonna be there it's great It's going to be really interesting seeing how this uh, Justice League that they established at the end of Crisis looks now that it's all half of their members are gone. But I am very much looking forward to see what they do with this. Black Lightning, you will be missed. Thank you for being a wonderful, wonderful show. But that covers... All of the shows that were in the uh, in the power rankings from last year, which means the top two spots are brand new. And at the number two spot, we've got Stargirl, Stargirl. Welcome to the Arrowverse. Stargirl with season two dove in to the Arrowverse now as part. It is still Earth 2 which I know might ruffle some feathers and that it's not on the same Earth, so it doesn't count. It does. It does, and I'm going to tell you why, because Jay Garrick is there. It is the same Jay Garrick. He is there. Jay Garrick is here. That means it counts. And Stargirl has also been talking about doing some crossovers with other shows, so it counts. So Stargirl making making the show's first appearance on the power rankings at the number two spot. This show... Is about as comic booky as it gets. With all of its... It's beautifully bright color palette. The fact that Blue Valley is an established place in the DC Universe. Um, if I was a kid, right? If I was 10 years old through probably like 14 years old. This would be my show. This is my shit. I think that the show, as even as an adult, I really enjoy it. And it's mostly because it's JSA. The JSA is wonderful i love the jsa and i love the treatment and the reverence that the show gets in this show All the new JSA members or Infinity Incorporated, uh, they all do a great job. I love the flashbacks showing the older JSA members. I love the new additions to the cast. We got Jade. We got Jade. We got Arrowette. We got so I love this. I absolutely love this. I think the show is firing on all cylinders, and I can't wait to see more from it. I think it's a fantastic usage of these characters as well. And a fantastic usage of the villains. We know we got the Injustice Society last season. This season, it was all about the Shade and Eclipso. And Eclipso, played by Nick Tarabay, was fantastic. I loved the use of all of his weird powers and his weird background. And I just, I really dig this. Just like with Supergirl, this show is sincere. It's silly and some of the performances are not my cup of tea. That little brother still gets on my nerves. But... I still really enjoy this show. I still think that it's a fun time. It's as comic booky as any of these shows get, with its ideas, its costuming, um, the fact that it's at its core a teen melodrama, which is always fun. And now you just gotta get a new Flash in there. Just get a new Flash in there. Maybe it's Jesse Quick. Maybe it's a you know a different Wally West. Maybe it's Bart Allen. Who knows? Somebody's got to get in there. We gotta get a new Flash in there. We got to get the entire new Justice Society established. And the way that it's trending, I think that's where it's going to go. I love the season. I love the show. It's only getting better. And I cannot wait to see a season three. So that is why it sits at my number two. Which means, of course, to the surprise of absolutely no one making its debut on the list at number one... Superman and Lois. It had to be Superman and Lois. You knew it had to be Superman and Lois. Superman and Lois, within the first five minutes of the show, had me stand up and say, holy shit, it's Superman. Like, this is my live-action Superman for the modern age. This is what I really wanted to see out of a Superman show. This is what I wanted to see out of a Superman adaptation. You know, a lot of people have their favorite Superman, which is totally fine, totally valid. Your favorite Superman might not be someone else's favorite Superman, but both of your opinions are valid. I wish that we had gotten a Brandon Routh uh, HBO Max you know, Kingdom Come miniseries. But barring that, this is the best Superman show we could have gotten. Because they basically did Superman Rebirth. And you know how much I love that run. We have a wonderful, wonderfully put together show. It has production value for days. Literal days. This show looks cinematic in a way that the other CW shows don't. It feels like it's a big deal. It feels like they put some money behind it. And it feels like they're treating it seriously, which I love. They also dove into giving us some characters, some leads that we can really root for. Clark and Lois, I think, was a given. Having Tyler Heckland and Betsy Tulloch reprise their roles, continuing on their story, they are the Lois and Clark of the... Modern era for me. That's just how it is. I think Bitsy Tullock, while I didn't believe her as Lois in the appearances she made before this, absolutely took my breath away as Lois in this show. She is incredible. And she does a wonderful job on making her, on walking the line on being a doting, caring mother and that absolute spitfire that Lois Lane has always been. And when it comes to Superman, I mean, Tyler Hecklin is Superman. Though I have some little, you know, gripes here and there with the suit. There's reports he might be getting a new one. Who knows? The moment he walks out in the opening minutes of the show with that old school Fleischer suit and he says, you know, thanks, my mom made it for me. That's fucking Superman. It just is. I'm sorry. That's Superman. He smiles. He cares. He gets angry plenty because, after all, he's from Earth. He is as much human as he is Kryptonian. We all go through emotions, but he's also the paragon. He is also the truth, justice, and a better world. Like, he is that guy. And Tyler Hecklin plays him to absolute perfection. Every single episode with maybe a misstep here and there was better than the last, and I loved this. And you know what I also loved? John and Jordan. Though I do think that they were basically put there for the younger audience, and that the choices they make are very much teen melodrama, and they would absolutely find... Uh, they would absolutely not look out of place at all if they were with Stargirl. Um, I do think that John and Jordan did provide really great characters to get invested in. Um, I honestly don't think the show would have been the same without them. I like the parallel of John and Jordan being two different characters. Splitting up the John from the comics into two characters was a risky move, and I didn't like it at first. But having that, Idea of Jordan gets powers while also having social anxiety really was cool while having John be the more put together but also painfully human uh, of the two really worked for me. I wish they'd spent more time on the social anxiety for Jordan. I feel like it was something they set up early in the season and just kind of dropped as it went along. Um, But I really dug their usage. I also... There is... An episode in this season that we've that I mentioned that I talked about on this podcast that made me shoot up in the air and say, Holy shit, I have not been duped by an Arrowverse show like that since probably early Flash, right? Or even some episodes of Black Lightning. This show is as good as the Arrowverse gets, period, nonstop, no cap. It is. The best of the Arrowverse. It has characters like our mysterious stranger who comes from another world and wants to absolutely destroy Superman. We have Morgan Edge being a character that they really took some artistic liberties with and I didn't hate it at all. I thought it was a great usage of that character, and they had me chomping at the bit for season two. Now, season two, as we've stated in a previous news segment, doesn't pop up until, I believe, January 11th, which is too far away for my taste, but... That being said, I will be there day one to watch this show because it is everything that I wanted from a modern Superman show. It's everything that I want from a comic book show, and it's something that people need to get on board with because this is the best Arrowverse has to offer. Um, I definitely think that the uh, Arrowverse power rankings are something I'm looking forward to doing next year just to see. Just to see how that goes, because um, there's some interesting shows that are kind of at a crossroads here. You know, Flash, Legends of Tomorrow. There are shows that are just really starting to hit their stride. Batwoman, Stargirl. There's a show that absolutely kicked ass with its first season, Superman and Lois. And we're going to be missing two shows out of this with Supergirl and Black Lightning. Which means we're going to be down to five. Five next year, unless something ridiculous happens. But... Overall when it comes to the Arrowverse, we'll do a quick recap of the rankings. Number 7 was Flash, number 6 Batwoman, number 5 Legends of Tomorrow, number 4 Supergirl, number 3 Black Lightning, number 2 Star Girl, number 1 Superman and Lois. The Arrowverse is no pun intended in crisis. We don't know what it's going to look like next year. We don't know what it's going to happen. You know, 2 years from now we may just only have Superman and Lois, and Stargirl. So there's a lot that's still up in the air. Um, Green Lantern, Green Lantern Corps is still, you know, coming, but that's going to be uh, HBO Max, and there's no telling on whether it's going to be connected to literally anything with the CW-verse. But as we go along, as we learn more about it, the Arrowverse is going to be going through a lot. So keep your eyes healed here because after the crisis, there's coming an Armageddon and we don't know where the DC TV universe may go next. It is now time for the weekly review. This is the segment of our show where I review something weekly. And right now we're reviewing episode number 10 of season 3 of Doom Patrol, entitled Amends Patrol. This is the season finale for the show, and this pretty much picks up right where the last episode left off. Post-bus crash with everybody trying to figure out what's going on. Um, Jane is locked inside of her body with the underground. We're going to talk about that in just a second. Fog rolls back in. It's a whole deal. This episode, I have to say, did not go where I thought it was going to go. Uh, There was much less uh, Sisterhood of Dada involvement than I would have liked. It was pretty much just the Fog that uh, made her appearance, but... It really, I guess, wasn't about, at least this episode, wasn't really about the Sisterhood of Dada. It was more about Laura versus Rita and Laura versus the Brain, because as uh, we kind of start up with the episode, Laura is, has seemingly been saved by Mala from being shoved off the cliff, even though I'm pretty sure we saw Mala shove her off the cliff last episode, um... But basically, Mala's like, I'm tired of the... He pull- Mala pulls a Dr. Manhattan where it's like, I am tired of this earth, these people, and just leaves. Leaves a note for the Brain. Brain is still knobbing around as the robot man in Cliff's body. Uh, Laura ends up alongside uh, Cliff's Brain fashioning a giant robot to deal with, uh, to go after the Brain, eventually squishing him uh cliff and clara get to have a little bit of a uh um a reconciliation more or less cliff is now in this giant robot body uh he goes to clara's house clara's house talks to her um and you know essentially makes amends with her and is able to uh Begin the road to recovery for him and his Parkinson's and all everything that goes with that. Uh, Meanwhile, Rita finally arrives at the Brain's retirement home. The Brain having survived with little pieces. It's basically just the torso and the head of the Robot Man body. And Rita brutally kills the Brain. Pops the uh, casing open and pours boiling hot water onto the Brain, killing it. And then we get to see Rita go back after uh, after Laura. Laura decides, this episode was kind of all over the place, Laura decides after um, she goes after the brain, and for all intents and purposes, which she assumes kills him that she's going to go after rita but then she shows up back to where uh where the sisterhood of dada used to meet and then finds the time machine which she then takes over losing her memories giving her the amnesia again and when she arrives at doom manor she finds that her past self left her a note she reads the note and realizes you know all the terrible things she's done but this is I guess in essence, a new Laura since she doesn't have any of the memories of the old Laura. So they're able to kind of say that she gets a clean slate. Um, Meanwhile, while all of this is going on, Larry is dealing with the slug, which seems to be more like an egg or a cocoon for a new negative spirit, a new negative baby spirit to go into Larry. I, I really wasn't about the whole, I really feel bad because I feel like Larry was kind of sidelined with this weird, uh, plot it is you know textbook doom patrol weird but I just really didn't connect with it and it didn't really after the flagellation where it was like oh you need to be the person that I couldn't be and they're like making these really big stretches to be like oh your past self meant you need to be a father to this naked, to this slug I'm like I don't I don't get it. I'm just... It wasn't for me. It didn't feel as personal or as heartfelt as Larry's storylines have in the past, which kind of bothered me. Um, Vic basically had nothing to do since he doesn't have any powers anymore. Um, Cliff was sidelined with the giant robot stuff. However... On his way back to the uh, to the manor, Cliff's new giant robot body, he's not quite able to get it working, so it's on a set on a collision course with uh, with the town, with Cloverton, and in a wonderful um, callback to her arc throughout season two, Rita saves Cloverton. She is the one that appears and stops the robot from trampling the town. So she. Officially becomes a hero, saves Cloverton, decides to forgive Laura for now, peaking, basically keeping her on a tight leash. But now they are officially the Doom Patrol. Rita and Laura are figuring their th- things out. Um, but now they're all, I guess, part of the team. Uh, meanwhile, with all of the underground stuff going on, Jane was having you know Jane showed back up and saw that the uh, underground tunnel had been sealed uh so she ended up bargaining with harrison dr harrison to get all the other uh familiars all the other personalities all the other personas to come down and help break through the barrier so that they could get back into the underground however at the conclusion jane heads back into the underground to find that harrison is now the only one there and harris and Basically, Jane bargained up that Harrison could be the new primary. So there are some bad times ahead when it comes to Jane, the underground, and everything that has to do with that. Um, But, yeah, overall, I wasn't a huge fan of this episode. I don't think it was the strongest episode that, you know, the season has had. um, Especially after last episode was just so strong to set up a really good finale. I didn't really connect with it all that much um i don't know if that's just because you know there's stuff that they have you know in in the chamber at this point they we do know that we're getting a season four which is awesome i love these characters i love these stories but i don't know where they go from here i don't know why they they kind of wrapped up the uh the sisterhood of dada and laura stuff really quickly which i was not a huge fan of I wish we'd gotten more time with them and a bigger reckoning for Laura they mentioned that the flagellation happened all over the world and no one's really like mentioning it but Who knows? I do think that they had a great little uh, wrap up where, you know, there's this giant nutsack coming out of the Suez Canal and they're like, all right, the only thing that's going to get us there fast enough is to take the time machine to take us over there. So everyone's like sticking notes and like labels on each other so that they'll be able to remember what's going on. And I'm assuming that's how season four is going to open up with them basically showing up and having to relearn everything but yeah i just i wasn't a huge fan of this episode i think as a whole season three is still incredibly strong and i might have enjoyed season three more than season two it's tough because there was no flex Mentalo this season which made me really sad um and we only got danny for a little bit i didn't like the slug storyline i wasn't really a fan of that and they just wrap things up really quickly, I feel like. so, But overall, the season was great. I still love Doom Patrol. I still think it's a fantastic show, even though I didn't love the finale. And I cannot wait to see what they do with Season 4. But that is going to do it for the weekly review. It was nice to revive this for a little bit, to bring this back to... Talk about Doom Patrol. It's one of the first, um, it might have been the first weekly review that I started doing way back with season one. I might have to, somebody's going to fact check me on that. But I still loved coming back and doing this. I will bring back the weekly review in time. I may not do it, you know, until, you know, next year, but I still really enjoyed doing this. So thank you for giving me the time to talk about a show that I really enjoy. But that is going to do it for the weekly review. We're going to roll right now on to this week's Comics Countdown. Ooh, welcome back to this week's Comics Countdown. This is the segment of our show where I talk about the comics that I think you should be picking up this week. Whether it's at your local comic book shop, a comicsology, or however you get your comics, these are the ones I think you should definitely take a look at. But before we get into this week's books, we gotta take a look back at last week's books with the Geeksplain Pick of the Week of last week. And for me, this was weird, okay? So all of the books at one point or another that I picked up last week were up for the pick of the week. Like like all of them were good. I don't think there has been in a while just such a strong week and not just like oh just a bunch of comics. Like it was a smaller group but they were all so good and they were really really well done. It was tough to pick this one, but ultimately I ended up choosing Robin and Batman number no. 1 written by Jeff Lemire with art by Dustin Nguyen. I just really enjoyed the look back. I love Dick Grayson as a character, one of my favorite characters of all time. And getting early stories with him, I think, is a well that isn't um, isn't, uh, gone to enough. So I am really loving this. I also love the tease that Killer Croc might be more... um, Connected to Dick Grayson than previously thought. The art was gorgeous. The writing was great. Really enjoyed it. Cannot wait to get the other two books. But that's last week's books. Taking a look at this week's books, we've got one, two, three, four, five. We've got ten books back in the double digits for you this week. So let's go ahead and kick things off with Wonder Woman Evolution, number one. This is written by Stephanie Phillips with art by Mike Hawthorne. And this book they've been waiting on for a little bit of for a little bit Uh, this is issue one of eight so just a limited series but this is apparently I'm assuming supposed to be the next stage for Wonder Woman Um, or it might be a Black Label project who knows but we will see what happens Wonder Woman's been doing uh, her own thing uh, away from everybody else so we'll just see what entails here let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis Whisked away from Earth by a distant cosmic entity, Wonder Woman is forced to navigate a series of perilous challenges that push her to the brink both mentally and physically at stake is the fate of all humanity with the alien entities casting diana as earth's proxy for a trial judging humankind's worthiness to exist in the universe can diana stand trial to save humanity without losing her own that sounds pretty cool um I know it's not going to be a Wonder Woman procedural, but this sounds like a cool idea of Wonder Woman putting her life on the line for all of existence, which is, you know, what she does. So looking forward to picking this up. Next up, we have Suicide Squad number nine. This is written by Robbie Thompson with art by Dexter Soy. And Suicide Squad's been really good. Uh, they've been messing around with the roster throughout the book, which I think is a good uh A good practice for a Suicide Squad book. you got to be rotating people in and out. And I think the roster they've got is really interesting. They just added Major Force, which is really fun. He's a terrible character and a terrible person. But it'll be interesting to see how he fits into the narrative. But let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. Amanda Waller needs one last item before she can begin her invasion of Earth 3. The problem? It's locked in a vault on Oa. The solution? Squad in space. Meanwhile, Rick Flagg is assembling his own squad to take down Waller. So I do like this idea of two parallel... Um, Two parallel squads, one essentially led by Major Force, one led by Rick Flagg. This is going to be very, very interesting. Next up, we have, speaking of OA, Green Lantern number eight. This is written by Jeffrey Thorne with art by Tom Rainey and Marco Santucci. And this book's been good. I've been enjoying Green Lantern. I think it's been a very interesting look at a story that we've probably gotten before, but not in this... Uh, Not in this way. So I'm looking forward to this. Let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. Will the Dark Sector die? With trillions of lives in peril, John battles the Daystorm and the challenge of its future states. Meanwhile, Joe Malane solves the mystery of the battery's destruction in time to see the rise of a new and ancient enemy. Is this the final end of Oa and the Green Lanterns? So this sounds an awful lot like this is going to be like a finale issue. Um, I don't know if that's the case, but they're solving the mystery and Jon Stewart's about to go on a big old battle. So I don't know if that if that means that this book is ending early or what, but I've been enjoying it, so we'll have to see what happens. Next up, we have Nightwing number 86. This is written by Tom Taylor with art by Robbie Rodriguez. And I have to apologize to, uh, to one of our listeners who asked me about the Nightwing book being a little turned off by the Fear State tie-ins. I said that it was only a two-part, and it is, in fact, a three-part. However... This is it. After this, with 87, we're going back to Nightwing, doing what Nightwing does best. So we just got to get through one more of these. I will say I've been enjoying the fear state, but it is definitely a um, a derailing of what Nightwing's been up to prior to this. However, that being said, let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. Nightwing Fear State Part 3. Nightwing and Babs have fought through the fear-stricken Gotham streets, but now their fight takes them to the skies above Gotham, with the Batgirls and Tim Drake-Robin in tow. Now aboard the Magistrate's Skybase-01, they've made it their mission to bring the Airborne Leviathan down, prevent Sears' disinformation from being broadcast, and save the innocents aboard. But in this paranoia-stricken city, not everyone is who they seem. That sounds interesting, and I do I do love a good battle on an airship, so I'm looking forward to this, but also looking forward to this being over so we can get back to some Nightwing in Bloodhaven. Next up, we have The Amazing Spider-Man, number 78.bey, dot B-E-Y for Beyond. This is written by Jed McKay with art by Eleonora Carlini, I apologize if I pronounced that wrong, which is a high possibility. Uh, this is our little um, side story. This is a sh- offshoot of the Spider-Man Beyond while Ben Reilly is out of commission following his attack by Morbius. Don't really understand why this couldn't just be its own issue, but uh, this is now a tie-in issue, I guess. So let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. A pivotal issue written by Jed McKay with art by Eleonora Carlini that will feature the Daughters of the Dragon as Spider-Man's tough new trainers. But is even their skill level enough for the mission that is the Beyond Corporation is about to send them on? This special installment of Amazing Spider-Man will debut a mysterious new villain, Obsidian Star. So I am all for getting more Daughters of the Dragon action in there. Misty Knight, Colleen Wing, give me more. This is going to be great. Again, I wish this was its own issue, uh, just of Amazing Spider-Man, but maybe this is supposed to be like a backdoor pilot to a Daughters of the Dragon miniseries. We can dream. But next up, we have Superman, Son of Kal-El number five. This is written by Tom Taylor with art by John Timms. And this is the big one. This is the big book. This is the one where it happens, the book that everyone has been excited for and some terrible people have been dreading. I'm very excited about this book. Superman, Son of Kal-El is fantastic so far, and I can't wait to see where John Kent goes next. So Let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. Faster than fate, as powerful as hope, able to lift us all. For all his great power, John Kent can't save everyone, but that won't stop him from trying. How much can Earth's new Superman do before this man of steel buckles? And when he does, who swoops in to save Superman? So yeah, awesome awesome premise very much looking forward to this next up we have dark ages number three also written by tom taylor with art by iban coelho and i've been loving the first two issues of this i think it sets up a really cool world there's a lot to uh take from this lots of interesting character beats as well this has been really cool to follow along with so let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here after the lights go out Strange things lurk within the darkness. The Earth has been plunged into darkness, and Avengers and X-Men alike have been vanishing in the night. They have been taken and twisted by Apocalypse to serve an evil older than the world. A group of heroes will assemble to travel across the dark planet in its desperate attempt to rescue their friends and save a civilization already on its knees. Yeah, that's a lot. So I'm excited to pick this up. Should be awesome. Next up, we have Batman number 117 written by James Tynan IV and Becky Clunan and Michael Conrad with art by George Jimenez as well as George Corona. I am uh, really excited about this. This, I believe, is the finale of Fear State. Yes. So this is the finale of Fear State. This is the end of the Tynan uh, Jimenez Batman run, which is sad because I love them together. I love them as a team. I love them on this book. But it does mean that the uh, the uh, Williamson-Molina era of Batman is upon us. It's going to be kicking off with 118 next week or next week, next month, so I'm excited about this. Fear State has been fantastic, and I can't wait to see how it wraps up. Let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. Fear State Conclusion slash Batgirls Part 3 As the full scope of the Scarecrow's plans is revealed, a blooded Dark Knight fights for his life and all the lives in Gotham City against an unrelenting, unstoppable opponent. The shocking conclusion of Fear State is here. Will Batman ever be the same? After what happened in the Magistrate's Skybase 01, nowhere is safe, and the Batgirls hide out in a hotel room until Babs arrives offering a plan for their future. Seer, the Anti-Oracle, is revealed here, and who they are will make you question everything you see moving forward in Gotham. So that sounds really interesting. So make sure, if you pick up Nightwing as well, read that before this. So uh, very excited to see what they do here. They are promising some big swings and a fantastic conclusion. We'll see if they pull that off. Next up, we have Shang-Chi number six. This is written by Jean Lune Yang with art by DK Ruan. Shang-Chi's been fantastic. I've loved every single issue so far. And this one looks like it's going to be bringing the thunder. So let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. Shang-Chi vs. the Marvel Universe Part 6. Shang-Chi vs. Thor. For several months, Shang-Chi has reintegrated himself into the Marvel Universe by bumping heads with the likes of Spider-Man, Captain America, Wolverine, the Fantastic Four, and Iron Man. And each time, he's proven to be the most unstoppable force his father trained him to be but his dad never taught him how to defeat a god don't miss the end of the first arc shang chi versus the marvel universe so yeah this looks like it wraps up the first arc excited to see how this goes this has been a steady pace of escalation which i enjoy and we just got some more stuff with his backstory and it looks like his empire might be fallen uh foul, fallen down around him so we will just have to see but the big book of the week, the book I think you should absolutely be picking up is Supergirl, Woman of Tomorrow, number five. This is written by Tom King with art by Kiss Eveli, and this book has been so good. Uh, number four was my pick of the week, the week it came out. I absolutely adore this book. Cannot wait to get more of this. Let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. Supergirl steps into an ancient trap. Stranding her and Ruthie on a planet of nearly perpetual night. Now the woman of steel must call on every remaining ounce of strength to combat the monsters left on this world to kill any super unlucky enough to end up on its surface. So this sounds again, more like a, an episodic, uh, chapter of the story, but still very excited. I love this book. Pick it up. So that's going to do it for this week's comics countdown. Countdown. To recap, we have Wonder Woman Evolution number one, Suicide Squad number nine, Green Lantern number eight, Nightwing number 86, Amazing Spider-Man number 78.bey, Superman Son of Kal-El number five, Dark Ages number three, Batman number 117, Shang-Chi number six, and Supergirl Woman of Tomorrow number five. And that is going to bring us to the wrap up. If this is your first time joining us on the Geeksplain podcast and you like what I do here, feel free to subscribe on the podcasting platform of your choice and give us a rating and review. We drop new episodes every single Wednesday and honestly ratings reviews and especially subscriptions really helps me out, really helps the podcast out in this weird podcasting algorithm space. Kind of raises our stock up and gets us out and into the orbit of listeners just like you. And if you give us a five star rating review, rating and review on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, whatever you want to call it. I will read your review here live on the podcast, and you can join the likes of our Dirty Dozen, including Seafire nd josh Josh from Panels to Pixels, Matt Draper, Burrito Man eighty eight, Doug from For Every Kind of Geek, Don Swanson, that guy Brian, Mouthdork, Dallas Meeks, Amazing Spider fan, Alok and A Z, and SASS. I want to say a big thank you to all these fine folks for their reviews, and I cannot wait to hear yours. Also, if you want to write into the podcast and be part of our Geek Explained mailbag, you can send me emails, send me emails to geeksplained at gmail.com, put mailbag in the subject header and I will read it here on the pod. If you have a question for me, you want to get maybe a quick pitch, my thoughts on something, or if you just... Want some recommendations for stuff we maybe haven't covered on the podcast yet? Feel free once again to email me, geeksplain at gmail.com, put mailbag in the subject header, and I will read it here. I read every single email you sent to me, and I really do love hearing from you guys. This is obviously, of course, a podcast for geeks by a geek, so getting to talk and converse with you all really makes my heart sing. And then finally, if you want to keep up to date on the podcast, participate in polls that decide future episodes, or maybe just want to shoot the shit on the latest geeky news with me you can feel free to follow us on the socials instagram and twitter at Explained pod that's at Explained pod there is a lot to talk about with stuff when it comes to uh geek news when it comes to that spider-man trailer when it comes to the arrowverse and where that's going so if you want to chat with me if you want to get uh first notifications alongside subscribing when a new episode goes up again Follow us at Pod, but that is going to do it for this week's episode. Um, for those of you who have asked about a health update, I am doing okay. I'm going in for a procedure this Thursday as of this recording, so um, I will let you all know how that goes but i am nervous about it it's you know it's gonna hopefully get us some answers and i am looking forward to feeling better so again thank you to everyone who has reached out thank you to everyone who has asked about uh, my health and continues to check in really it you, you make a guy feel real special so Next week. Looking forward, uh, next week is going to be a pretty special episode. We're doing a new edition of the Geek series where I explain a character. I geek explain that character uh, to you and let you know what you need to know about the character. And with Hawkeye debuting next week, that's crazy. First two episodes are dropping next Wednesday. I will be dropping my own Hawkeye content when I geek explain Hawkeye herself. Kate Bishop. So tune in for that next week. Same geek time, same geek channel. But for now, for Geeksplain, this is Eric Azana. Thank you very much for listening. Stay safe, and we will see you next time.